So I should say, um, because today is Father's Day, and I'm, I was joking with someone before the service, like I, we, when we kind of plan out the, the sermon series and what's coming next and all those kind of things, I look at the Christian calendar, and I pay really close attention to that. So like I can tell you when Easter is and Christmas, and I can tell you when Advent and Lent, I know those times, right? I can even tell you Pentecost, but if you ask me about Mother's Day or Father's Day or any other holiday that's not on the Christian calendar, I have no idea. Um, but today's Father's Day, so congratulations. No, um, but one of the unique things about the church is that we recognize that one of the ways people are fathers in the community of faith is a little bit different. And what we mean by that is we think that every male who calls this church home is called to invest in one another and in the next generation. And so we don't care if you're a biological father or not today. Um, if you have had a father, which means, by the way, you all had to have a father. That's how it works. Um, if you've had a father uh, and you are male, we would like this for you to stand up so we can honor you this morning. And I know, I'm sure you notice as well as I, that the applause was much louder for mothers um, on Mother's Day. That's kind of how this works too. Um, have you ever found yourself drawn back into something that you have left? Right, like you try to get away from something, but you just can't. I mean, maybe it's as simple as, um, you know, like your social media feed or like those infomercials on television, right? You just want to change the channel, but you just got to see, is that knife really that sharp? Right, I, I know you never do those things, right? But, but we get drawn into stuff and brought back in. They just kind of suck you in. Like the television show that you can't change, like Dateline or 2020 or just some weird thing that just, you're like, ah, no, this can't be real. And you just find yourself stuck there because um, we can't let go. Now, some of you really are good at letting go. Like we had a yard sale here this week. So thank you to those who were involved with that uh, to benefit the Community Resource Center. But but some of you are really good at dumping your stuff and going, it's gone. Others of you showed up and bought your own stuff back, right? Like, that's a weird thing. Um, I don't have to tell you. Sorry for your spouse. Um, but, but lots of things we just can't let go of. So last Sunday, uh, Katie and I went to dinner, and there was a guy wearing a T-shirt. And I couldn't read it, and I kept trying to read it. And finally, I saw his shirt. And it said, rehab is for quitters. True. But sometimes letting go of stuff is a really good thing. Um, and have you noticed that sometimes what we want to let go of, we can't? Like the stuff we want to let go of, we, and we probably should let go of, we just don't know how to do that, like addictions. Um, sometimes we need to let go of past ways of viewing the world. <laughs> sometimes we need to let go of being right. Our past habits. Broken relationships. Memories people who have hurt us or abused us, hurts that hold us captive. Those are things that we probably do want to walk away from. We're not really sure how to do that. So here's what I've come to believe. Some things grip our hearts so tightly, we don't know what to do. They, they grip us and they hold us captive and we don't see a way around them personally or we don't even know we're held captive by them. Right? Have you noticed how you can always notice what's wrong with someone else's life? When you watch someone else's life, you know, if they just knew this, they would not do that anymore. We're all pretty good at seeing what's wrong with the other person, but we're not so good about seeing what's wrong with us. Or where we need to change, or where God needs to do a work in us. We're held captive by what grabs our heart. 
And so we're doing this series throughout the summer, just kind of walking through the Old Testament, looking at the way God has been at work among his people. And there's a common theme that comes up again and again and again. God frees his people from something only for them to be oppressed by something else again by their own decision-making. Over and over again, it's really the story of the entire Old Testament. So we're, we're kind of walking through the book of Exodus a little bit today. We'll be in chapter 2 in just a few minutes if you have your Bible and want to look there. But, but what we begin to find is that over and over again, he rescues his people. Why? We talked about this a few weeks ago. To be a blessing to the world. God has always called out of people to be a blessing to the world. Not to be blessed themselves, but to be a blessing to the world. And what happens then is we go, oh, well, I'm awesome. <laughs> Forget about those other people until we find ourselves in trouble again and go, God, help us again. But it's not just the Israelites who do that. It's you and I who find ourselves stuck in those ways. And so there's a singular story in the Old Testament that's probably the most pivotal story. It's the story of the exodus out of Egypt. Right? It's a story in which there's been a few blockbuster Hollywood movies made out of it. Um, it's a story that... The Israelites have been enslaved, and Pharaoh no longer remembers who Joseph is, and so they find themselves enslaved and entrapped, and they cry out to God, and they want to be freed. And God hears their prayers. And then there's this weird kind of story about a guy named Moses. And Pharaoh's killing all these babies, and so um, Moses' mom doesn't want her son to die, so she puts him in a basket right where Pharaoh's daughter would bathe. And so he is taken into Pharaoh's daughter's house, and he is raised in the house of Pharaoh. And at some point as he grows older, he finds out, hey, I'm not really Egyptian. Either I don't look like them or talk like, you know, he would talk like them, but he doesn't look like them. And he finds out, like, I'm not really one of them. And then he sees an Egyptian abusing an Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian. And it says, Pharaoh's angry, and so Moses flees into the wilderness because he is scared. He doesn't know what's coming, and he doesn't know what to do, and so he runs away. And so we think that's the end of the story of Moses. This guy raised in Pharaoh's household. He's done. He's over with. Instead, what we find is God begins to do a new thing using him, his past circumstances, to lead to radical freedom for an entire group of people. And here's what Exodus 2 says, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God hears the cry of his people, and he is concerned. He listens. So when we cry out, it's not that we're on our own, but what we find is God wants to rescue his people. But as he rescues them, one thing that I can't help but not miss is this. God always wants to rescue us. The problem for you and I is that he often rescues us in ways that we wouldn't pick. His rescue is not usually the way I want God to rescue me, right? I just want it to like be perfect and everything work out great. And that's not always how God rescues or redeems or restores. So the story continues from Exodus chapter 6. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I 
am the Lord. What we see again and again is God reiterates this promise he's made, that he has a future plan for this people, that he has something he wants for them, something beyond what they can imagine, and it's something to be hope-filled. But if we're not careful, we don't see it. As the story goes, and you probably know the story, you've probably seen the movie, right? Um, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh doesn't listen. And Moses goes to Pharaoh again, and Pharaoh doesn't listen. And again and again, we have this thing that happens. I mean, it's this kind of scene that looks like this. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. Again, and again, and again. And then these plagues and these weird things happen, these calamities. And so finally, Pharaoh has had enough. And he says, okay, you guys can go. But as they leave, he changes his mind. Right? By the way, just a side note, the reason we never learn Pharaoh's name, Pharaoh's never, you notice this? Pharaoh never gets a name in the Bible. That's on purpose. Because Pharaoh represents every ruler and leader of every empire. Egypt represents all the empires of the world that, that are not committed to the idea of, of God being creator, father, and falling in the footsteps of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, actually. But, but what we see is that they don't give names because it's everything that's wrong with the world. And so Pharaoh runs after and sends his army after the Israelites. And we know the scene, right? You know the scene, like that the waters part and they cross the other side. And then the Israelites are swallowed up. But that's, that's not really the scene I want you to hear. I want you to hear about the Israelites because this is where it really begins to change for them. They entered into the other side. On one side of the water, they were slaves. And their captives were pursuing them. And as they enter to the other side, as they make it through the water onto the other side, they are freed from their slavery. Only one of you thought that was good news. That's bad. Um, it's really good news because they were captive. Right? They, they were enslaved. They had no hope, no future. Nothing in their life was good. And yet God frees them from that. And they go to the other side God wants to create a unique people who are not enslaved. The problem now comes in. They enter into the wilderness. And the wilderness is significant for them. And why is the wilderness significant? Well, because it was also where Moses heard from God. And here's what the wilderness is for you and I. It's a place none of us pick. But the wilderness is often the place where we can hear the word of the Lord for us. None of us pick to go into wilderness. I don't be like, hey, let's go to a barren place. It sounds like a great idea. But yet, what we find is in those moments when it seems the most barren, it's probably the moments that God can speak to us most clearly. In fact, this is where the story really begins, because see, the Israelites have left Egypt. They are out of slavery. But the question is, has Egypt left them? They've been shaped by the cultural values of Egypt, and yet they've been freed from the slavery, but have they still been enslaved in their hearts and their minds? Are they still held captive to what captivated them in Egypt, or are they truly set free? They have physically been set free, but just like you and I know, how often in our lives are we not set free from the things that hold our heart captive? This is what we see, Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. By the way, they just were just free not long ago, right? You got that, just so we're clear. 
The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and this is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. You notice that people are longing for what they know? They're longing for what they already knew. We had food there. We knew we were secure. We knew we were safe. It may not have been the best situation. I mean, we may have been slaves, but at least I knew what I had. I knew where I stood. I knew what I was going to get, right? I mean, how often is it true for us? We long for what we've already known because we're too scared that the future might be better. But what if it's worse? What if the future with God, what if it's really not that good? What if in the end, it's not really a good thing? What if I'm longing for something that he's never going to give me? What if it's just too hard? What if God really doesn't love me? What if Jesus really isn't real? These things that hold us captive and don't allow us to move into this idea that God has a new thing for your life, right? So what are some things that that's true for? Obvious ones, right? Um, exercise is hard if you're doing it right. So what happens? People are like, they quit because it's hard. And then what do they do? They go eat another donut, right? I'll just go back to the donut. I know what that's like. It's good. That's one I can laugh about, right? Because we all know we should do that and take care of ourselves. But what I'm not laughing about is that how many of us have gone back into abusive relationships? At least I know what I'm going to get. We go back into situations and things because we know what we're going to get and we're too scared of what might be. And the people are captivated by their hunger. It's what holds them captive. And now we need to eat or you will die eventually, but it takes a long time but they're scared. They knew what they knew when they were slaves, but this freedom thing, I don't know what to do with that. It goes on from Exodus 17, we see this. Again, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They went from wanting to die at God's hand in Egypt to now being in the wilderness going, oh, if only we have stayed in Egypt. It was so good in Egypt. It was so good. They treated us so well. I mean, we were slaves. 
and everything that slaves have to do. I mean, they're supposed to make bricks without straw. They're supposed to do all these things, but it was such a good thing to be a slave in Egypt. Don't you remember how good it was? Have you noticed how we often look back with life with rose-colored glasses on? Oh, in my day, it was so good. Really? I can point out bad flaws in all of our generations, by the way, mine included, and my kids. We, we just, we kind of gloss over the bad stuff. It's what we all do. Oh, no, not me. Yes, you too. Right, we all do it. We look back and go, oh, it was so good. Do you remember when? But every time we do that, we forget about the bad for the sake of the other or the other who it wasn't good for. We do that all the time. And they're no different here. And so they say how quickly we forget the things that have engulfed us. We were slaves. You were slaves. And they beat them. And they worked them to death. And we see with our rose-colored glasses, it really wasn't that bad. It was pretty good back then. But see, we become slaves to all kinds of stuff in our days as well. We don't be physically slaves to anything, right? But what kind of things engulf us? These kind of things, right? It's politics, social media. Um, we're electronics. We find ourselves enslaved to all kinds of stuff. Our jobs, success, all these things can enslave us, right? Making more money. They enslave us in different kinds of ways, but it's still slavery. We don't call it that because we just say, oh, no, I just I have a high work ethic. Good. But if, you're more, if your value is determined by the zeros in your paycheck, then that's not work ethic any longer. It's slavery. This is what's hard for us. These things enslave us. Abusive relationships. These aren't freedom for God. This is what God invites us to, a way of life that is known as freedom. And so you think, well, maybe they figured it out. Because you see in chapter 20 of Exodus, God gives these commandments that they're to live by. We call them the Ten Commandments, right? We make a big deal about them. But here's the interesting thing about these Ten Commandments. Um, I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to talk about them for just a second. We're not going to spend a lot of time. But, but number one... <clears throat> can't worship other gods, right? Only one God. You worship him. Don't worry about the other gods or things, by the way. Don't worship anything else but God. Number two, don't make idols. We kind of laugh at that one, but the truth is we just make idols of all kinds of other things. We call them sports teams or television shows or clothes that we wear. We just call other things idols. That's the whole of the conversation. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Um, we're like, well, do you know, really mean that? I mean, now, here's what I would say this. There weren't people walking around going, oh, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. They didn't do that. It would never cross their mind. But it's the idea that I would just think so less of God that I'd be flippant with the idea of who God is. And before, remember the Sabbath day? In other words, recognize there should be a day of rest in your life. It's a valuable thing. And then number five, honor your father and mother. That father thing, we're going to mention that again today, right? Honor your father and mother. Um, number six, don't murder. Okay, got it. That seems like a good idea. It's pretty reasonable. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Okay, we think that's valuable. Probably shouldn't do that. Um, right? Number eight, don't steal. Seems reasonable enough as well, right? Number nine, don't bear false witness or don't lie. Like, be honest. Okay, we think that's valuable. And number 10, uh, don't long for other people or their stuff. In other words, don't covet. Okay, it's a reasonable list, right? You're like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. I can probably hold to the most of that. I said most, right? I mean, like, does lying include gossip? Does that count in there or not? What's that? I mean, that's kind of true. What, what about, like, coveting? Like, you I mean, it's okay to, to just want what they have? No, not, that's not okay either. 
Now, maybe you noticed something as we went through those. Maybe two things happened. One, maybe you thought, hey, doesn't Jesus address these commandment things? You're like, oh, yeah, that's like bonus points if you knew that. The second thing I would say is this. Did you notice how the first four had everything to do with our relationship to God? And the last six had everything to do with our relationship with other people. So the two commandments are literally summed up, the first four, about our relationship with God, right? Like this idea of a a vertical relationship with God. And then the last six are about our horizontal relationship with one another. So how my relationship to God and others? So it's interesting that Jesus has asked this question, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And so from Matthew chapter 22, here's this conversation. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This last line is really important too. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I don't usually hold a Bible um, because my words are really small, so it's hard for me to read it. Um, but if I were to hold a Bible now and show you the Old Testament, it's about three quarters of your Bible. And so Jesus summarizes the entire Old Testament, three quarters of it. In my my Bible, it's like a thousand pages. And he summarizes it in this simple line. Love the Lord God with your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes thousands of years of thought, and he summarizes it in a couple sentences. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, this is the whole thing right here. Now, why would Jesus make a such, such a big deal about that? And why would he summarize a thousand pages in two lines? It seems like a lot of waste, right? Like, why write a thousand pages if I just need two lines? Here's what Jesus knows that we, we sometimes forget. We can make all the laws we want, but they don't change our hearts. You can have all the rules that you are. I mean, let's think about our kids, right? If you give your kids a rule, how often do they break it? Like, all the time, let's be honest, right? They try not to, but, but it doesn't change the behavior. You can know what's right. You can cognitively know, but if your heart is not changed, the behavior does not follow. You can try in a moment, but long-term what we find is what happens, our character is revealed over time. We've seen that a lot in the church in these last few years. It's just true. Our character gets revealed when it gets tough. So what happened to the Israelites? Right, here's this next story. It's, it's one, I say it's one of my favorite stories because it's kind of funny, but not funny. So if that makes sense. So um, here's the story. It's from Exodus 32. It's several verses, so just hang with me and, and read along. When people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. How quickly we forget. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. Notice how God's even mad here. Your people you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff Connect people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them and the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. By the way, I love this. Moses is like, hey God, did you forget who you are? Have you just forgotten today? Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented, did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Jumping to verse 21. He said to Aaron, this is Moses, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I just threw it in and this thing popped out, right? Like, because that's exactly how they were. So not only do they make an idol and they worship another God, but now we're lying, (laughs) right? We know this, right? If our kid had told this story, we'd go, okay, that's not what happened. But we long for something that we know. See, we we find that even though the story is funny, it's really the story of the exodus out of Egypt again. We can be freed from physical slavery, but what holds our, cap- our heart captive holds us. You see, God, you're taking too long. I want you to work faster. And if you don't work faster, I'm going to create a God in my image, and my image is what I want it to be. So my God might be in my workplace. My God might be in my family. My God might be all over the place. Because, God, you're just taking too long. You just need to work faster. So what consumed those people? Wealth, power, right? We actually know food and water, not bad things, right? Um, they were consumed with something. They wanted something. And so here's what I have come to believe is true over time. What we consume consumes us. What we consume consumes us. If we find that we spend more time in relationship with God, if we come to know the Father's love for us, seen in his Son, that begins to reshape our lives. But what we consume over and over again consumes us. And so what we find in this is that we don't want to live like the Israelites as they come out of Egypt. We don't want to live just in the wilderness, not sure what's happening or not sure who God is. The problem for us is this. Jesus frees us from the law. But do we live in that freedom? Or do we live as Paul writes, we become slaves again to the law? What does that mean? 
Those Ten Commandments I gave you, you can keep all those, by the way, and not be a loving person. You can keep that ten right there, no problem, and not be a good person. In fact, you can keep that ten and not even be a Christian. You don't have to follow Jesus to keep those ten. It's not hard. It's really not. Now, there's like 600 more laws they came up with. It got kind of hard to keep all of those at some point. But, but here's the reality for us. God doesn't necessarily care just about your behavior. He does care about your behavior. So don't hear me say that he doesn't. But he wants to care about your heart. Because the overflow of our heart becomes the character of who we are. So I would say it this way. Um, Jesus wants us to live this radical life freed from slavery. And... Um, the reason, I, so sometimes people say, well, you we don't talk enough about sin. I'm like, well, actually, I talk about it every single week, but you just maybe not hear it. Um, here's what I mean by that. We rarely have to talk about individual sins. Why? Because you probably already know them. Right? I read the Ten Commandments. You're like, oh, yeah, I've heard all those. But, but the problem is, as we know, when stress induces in our life when we find we're stressed about certain things have you noticed how our character really comes out in our stressful times like here's what i mean you may go well, i don't lie but when i'm stressed i fudge the truth i don't cover other people's stuff but when i'm not healthy i find myself doing other things when i'm stressed about what's going on in other things i find myself drawn back to past addictions or previous things when i'm stressed when when life is hard I don't turn to God, I turn to something else. It's a bottle, it's a pill, it's something else. I turn to all kinds of other things. Why? Because in the stress of the moment, our character is revealed. What we consume, consumes us. So the reason I don't often talk about symptoms, right? if we talk about, we'll use medicine as an example, right? Let's say, um, let's say you've got a broken arm and there's bone sticking out. And I give you Neosporin. You'll need it, right? Like, it's fair. Like, that's, you're going to need some kind of ointment or I can pour alcohol on it. That's good. It needs to happen. But it's symptomatic. You're bleeding because your bone is broken. You're not bleeding because you just have a little cut. The problem is too often for us, we want to treat the little cut, and we miss that it's about your heart. So you're right. I, I don't talk a lot about individual sins a lot. I, don't, I think God convicts really well. But I will ask you and I about our hearts. See, here's what I've come to believe. Right relationships are not found in laws, but in love. Come back to those Ten Commandments, right? Are you in right relationship with God? Are you in right relationship with other people? Is your life defined by love for God and love for others? Because that's what Jesus said matters. Because you know what happened? The Israelites found all these laws they gave them, they didn't work. Just like you and I, I can legislate stuff, I can give you rules, I can write down a whole list, and you and I can know them, and we still aren't going to follow them. But when our heart is made right, when our character is revealed, when it's laid bare in the stress and everyday busyness, and when work is not good, and our family life is stressful, our character is revealed in those moments, and then our heart is, the other stuff is symptomatic to the real problem. So, um, say it this way. I actually wrote this, so I'm going to read it because I, I want to say it the way I wrote it. The reason we speak to the heart of people more so than the behavior is we know that if laws worked in changing sin, Jesus would never have entered 
into the picture. Live rightly. Don't hear anything other than that today. But if you and I think just living rightly is going to change our heart and change our character, we're both wrong. Jesus doesn't want to fix the symptom. He wants to fix the root of the problem. And that is our heart. And the heart's a fickle thing. The heart's easily led astray. We can fall in love with all the wrong things. Um, when life's stressful, change behavior sometimes isn't changed. Have you noticed that? So I'd say it this way. Um, what are the things that captivate your life, your heart, your mind? Right? For some of us, it's sports or money or politics or position or success or family or any number of more things. that They, they just gravitate to us. We, we're drawn to those things. They draw us in. We find ourselves enmeshed in them. The thing you wake, that wake up thinking about in the morning, the thing that holds you captive, that thing. Here's what I want to say. Whatever, what captivates our heart captivates us. What has your heart? So I, um, in just a moment, the priest is going to come, and we're going to sing one more song, but I, I want to give opportunity today, because I think sometimes we miss this opportunity that God, God sometimes convicts us. Um, some people go, oh, you know, I just you know, I had too much to eat or something. I don't know. I think sometimes God's conviction of our lives. There's a reason why I'm not trying to give you particulars that God may have this and this and this and this and your heart is this and this and this. I'm not trying to do that because I think that's what God's spirit does. Just like I can't, I can't look into your life and tell you what necessarily the wrong thing is or what God wants to change. And you probably can't look into mine. But I do believe that somehow God's love, this Father who loves us, who pursues us, who continues to set us free when we run from him. We see the story in the Exodus story all the time, right? They were slaves. And he frees them, and they're like, oh, if only we were slaves again. Like, God, I'm not good enough for you? Oh, yeah, but we know this stuff. We don't know the fullness of your freedom. We don't know the fullness of your love. We don't know the fullness of what your son offers through his life, death, and resurrection, that this new life you invite us to. I don't really know what it's all like in the end, so I'm going to stay with what holds me captive, what has captivated my heart, what has enslaved me, because at least I know that thing. And today, here's the invitation. We're going we're to sing just a second, and we're going to pray. And, and we have these things we call altars, where we come and kneel and pray, and they're nothing like special. They're just pieces of wood with a fabric thing you kneel on so your knees don't hurt. But we think there's something unique about this idea that when we step forward towards God, he meets us there. In fact, God's already pursuing you and I right now. And so today, um, as we pray and then as we sing, um, maybe you need to say, hey, God, I, there's some things that have captivated my heart. There's some things that hold me captive, the things that I love probably more than you, if I'm honest. Like, God, you can have this area of my life and this area of my life, but don't talk about my wallet. God, you can have this area, but don't talk about my family. God, I'll do anything you want me to do, but don't talk about my job, because that's my goal in life is to get to that position. God, you can have anything except for these things. Don't ask how I spend my time. I don't know what it is in your life. I think I probably know on my own. Right When I was young, it was sports were an idol for me. They held me captive. Right, The older I get, like it's... It's success or achievement. Like those things hold me captive if I'm not careful. I don't know what they are for you. But what is it that holds you captive that if you're not careful, you 
you'll just be enslaved to. Because this is the good news. The Exodus story can be our story too. They entered into the Red Sea as slaves and they came out free people on the other side. And so for us, we call that baptism. We enter into the water and we come out new. And maybe today needs to be a reminder of your baptism. A reminder of the newness that God has for you. So what has your heart? What captivates you? What are you consuming that is consuming you? And so as I pray and as we sing, please know this place, this place that you're welcome to just kneel and pray and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I want you to have all of me. And maybe today you're going, man, I've never even thought about this Jesus guy, but if he loves me this much, he would die for me. And he forgives me for all my stuff. I just want to follow you with my life. And so we'd invite you to even do that here and now today. So we stand as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the way in which you draw us near. And we know today that we come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different circumstances, different things drive us. And so in these moments, we ask that you might help us to reflect about what holds us captive. What captivates our hearts. So Father, in these moments, maybe today we just need to take a step in faith and say, God, this area of my life I need to be freed from. I need your love to be seen in my life in ways that I've never known before. And I, I believe somehow it's true that you really are a father who loves us. That when your son comes and says, you want to know who my father is? Look at me. You want to know who God is? Look at me. And yet you invite us to live in this unique way of life that is defined by love of you and love of others. And so may we live from that place of love. And so, Father, we ask that whatever has captivated our hearts, Whatever that is, we would lay it down. That we'd find true freedom that comes in knowing you. So Father, we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.